Welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. We're dispensing stories of success from across the continuum of care. I'm your host, Hillary Blackburn. Thanks for joining us to learn from leaders throughout the pharmacy industry. This podcast is sponsored by TheraWorks Relief. Many of you get sore, achy legs from standing all day or get asked about painful foot and leg cramps. If so, you're going to want to hear about TheraWorks Relief, a clinically proven topical foam that prevents and relieves muscle cramps and soreness. Learn more at theraworksrelief.com. Hey, listeners. In today's episode, you will hear a live discussion from Lipscomb University College of Pharmacy in Nashville, where the students asked uh, several women to come in and do a women in pharmacy panel. Uh, There were lots of of young female pharmacists there and some brave men as well. Uh, So you'll get to hear from uh, four of us talking about issues uh, related to women uh, in business and particularly women in pharmacy. And uh, we'll hit on several hot topics. It will be moderated by Marissa Brakefield, who is the APHA ASP Women's Health Committee Chair for Lipscomb University College of Pharmacy. And I hope you enjoy the discussion. First up is Kaylin Harris, who is the PGY1 Community Pharmacy resident at Lipscomb. Is I am the PGY1 Community Pharmacy resident at Perkins Drugs up in Gallatin. Um, and then previously, I went to pharmacy school at Belmont. Um, and then I was an intern at Walgreens before that. Um, while I was at Kentucky, I did some research at the College of Pharmacy there in cystic fibrosis, and that's shortlist. <laughs> okay, um, I'm Brooke Gross. Um, I'm currently at HCA Healthcare down at Corporate. I'm currently over um, the provider documentation over all of the EHR platforms. So at, at HCA we have Epic, Cerner, Patient Keeper, um, Meditech, and a couple others. And so I'm over all of those um, anytime it um, considers the physician facing and then my counterparts over the nursing side. And so um, anytime you walk into any of our hospitals, if it touches anything of the um, electronic health record screens, we build those. So um, now I'm in informatics. Um, I have no informatics background. And um, so it's kind of neat that I've been able to move into that um, forum of the pharmacy world. So I always love to tell students, you know, pharmacy is just really a neat, just you can go into anything. Um, My background, before that, I was a director of pharmacy um, at two of the local HCA facilities in town at Hendersonville and Southern Hills over the past five years. And before that, um, I was a pharmacy manager up in Hendersonville. I did my residency in Maryville, Tennessee, right outside of Knoxville, um, in just um, hospital PGY1. And then I went to pharmacy school at UT Memphis. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, I'm Danielle Faulkner, and I remember a lot of friendly faces in here from when I was here as um, as an assistant professor. I taught hematology and oncology therapeutics. About a year ago, I took a role as a medical science liaison for AbbVie, um, and I support their solid tumor oncology pipeline. Uh, prior to either of those roles, I was here at Lipscomb in y'all seats. Um, I was in the first graduating class. 
and graduated in 2012 and then did a non-traditional um, one PGY, one residency that was a mix of um, health outcomes and pharmacoeconomics. Hillary Blackburn. In my current role, I serve as the Director of Pharmaceutical Services at Dispensary of Hope, which is a charitable medication distributor. Um, so for those of you who aren't familiar with it, we uh, partner with pharmaceutical companies that donate medicine to us uh, here in Nashville, and then we distribute it across the country to health <coughs> systems, charitable clinics, and charitable pharmacies that um, provide that medicine to uninsured patients. Um, so my background um, grew up in Mississippi, so I'm a Tennessee transplant, and uh, attended uh, Ole Miss, so I might be one of the <coughs> only Mississippians here. And um, so um, did early entry pharmacy school there, and uh, while I was in school, had uh, two really unique internship opportunities. So the first being uh, interning on Capitol Hill for one of the Mississippi senators. And after that experience, I wanted to go back for pharmacy and uh, had the opportunity to intern at HRSA's Office of Pharmacy Affairs for two summers. Um, so that experience um, was paired with all of the very um, clinical experiences uh, that I was getting as a fourth year and and I pursued a, a PGY1 residency at the University of Mississippi Medical Center in Jackson, Mississippi before moving to uh, Nashville seven years ago. So I've been practicing for about a decade in a variety of settings, hospital, uh, retail and independent pharmacy, health plan, mail order pharmacy, uh, and now I'm able to use all of those uh, combined experiences to um, help in the role where I am now, where I'm consulting with pharmacy leaders across the country about how to implement and operationalize uh, medication access programs and uh, lead any of our research and uh, precept students uh, and um, help develop some partnerships with health systems, businesses, uh, pharmacy schools, and pharmacy associations. Thank you guys. I think that gives a good background of where everyone's coming from, and you can see it's very diverse. So question number two, um, and I guess, you know, how did you get to where you are today? And I mean, that's sort of dealt with that too, um, with the residencies and all that, but I'm sure there's more to it than just that. So I'll start from this end, and I'll kind of mix it up so nobody feels left out. <laughs> um, I would say, I kind of gave you a, a little journey of, of where my pharmacy career has taken me, but I would say the biggest thing um, throughout my career path has just been taking opportunities. So, um, you know, interning on Capitol Hill is not a usual path, and um, going up and doing an uh, internship at, at HRSA. Um, I think you know, also volunteering. So I've always been very passionate about volunteering in my community um, and uh, have always done that. And that's actually how I was able to get in my position at Dispensary of Hope. So um, when I moved to Nashville, I learned about Dispensary of Hope um, from some patients that uh, were having trouble getting access to their medicine and actually reached out to them about uh, 
six or seven years ago and they needed help with their formulary. And so I actually did that on a volunteer basis uh, until they were able to hire me full time uh, in 2015. And so I've been there for about four years. So take opportunities and uh, volunteer. Volunteering on committees, um, so you know, involved with your student organizations. Uh, I think that's been one of the best ways to, to get to know people um, is, is serving on committees with them through TPA. Um, I'm on the legislative and policy committee with them. Um, with APHA, uh, there's a care for the underserved special interest group. Um, so, you know, just start showing up and, and volunteering um, because that's really a great way to be able to give back and um, to develop and show those leadership skills. Um, I guess the last opportunity that I, um, well, not the last one that I've taken, but um, I, another one that's kind of outside of the box is starting a podcast. So I started the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast uh, over two years ago and have over a hundred uh, interviews with pharmacy leaders across the country. And it has just been such a fun passion to be able to um, share their stories to really help um, connect and inspire and engage um, the pharmacy profession. Before we move on to the next panelist, let's first talk a little bit about the compliance associated with drug waste. Are you aware of the 2014 drug disposal of controlled substances ruling that regards safe disposal of unused medications? Well, we're lucky to have RX Destroyer sponsoring the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. RX Destroyer ready-to-use chemical drug disposal systems are safe, easy, and affordable products, which protect the environment and can save thousands in fines. To get more information on products, training, and medication waste compliance, check out www.rxdestroyer.com slash talk to your pharmacist. That's a really great response. <laughs> Hard to follow up. Um, but along with taking opportunities, um, I, I think that networking is a really big leader for, um, for you. And I want you guys to, to take a minute and look around at who's sitting next to you and who's sitting in front of you. And think about who's sitting in class with you because that is your built-in network. I mean, you, you have 75, 74 other people at your disposal on a day-to-day -day basis. When you graduate, it's gonna be really hard to keep in touch with them, but that's how I got to my role. The guy who sat behind me all three years of didactic coursework in pharmacy school left his position, and I reached out to him when I found out, and I said, hey, have you hired the, your position yet? And that's how I got into AbbVie, is just having a conversation with someone that I have tons of inside information on, and I'm like, I got pictures on Facebook of him sleeping after block exams. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, like, I could go places with that, right? <laughs> but that's, that's what you have available to you. Additionally, you have the whole Lipscomb network available to you. So get on LinkedIn. Reach out to other people that have Lipscomb College of Pharmacy associated with their name. They're going to want to help you because they've been in your shoes. and there's room enough for everyone to succeed, right? So 
when we all succeed as pharmacists, our patients succeed and health outcomes are reached. So that's something to keep in mind. Networking is not something that's elusive. It's just starting a conversation with someone and following up. I love both those answers because I actually had um, a classmate reach out to me just Sunday night nice. about um, opportunities that she had seen on our job board um, this week. So um, another thing I would say that um, kind of helped me get to my career is one thing the residency. Um, I think obviously residency is you know, something that um, you know, the schools and the accreditation bodies and things are pushing, but you know, if residency is not for you, that's okay too. But obviously use your education and use your resources, your networks, things like that to continue your education because education doesn't stop when you graduate. So whether or not um, you, know, you pursue a residency in itself, make sure that you're continuing your education uh, through your career. So if you choose to go a non-residency route, make sure you're furthering your career, um, whichever job route you take. So you, know, you can continue, you can still get your BCPS, you can still get you know, your CDE, you can still get um, you know, different accreditations and things like that. You can still you know, continue those different career paths and ladders and things like that. Um, the way I got to my path um, outside of residency was I ended up going to a community pharmacy that had infusion, had retail, had um, long-term care, had consulting. We, had, we did anticoagulation. I did a inpatient hospital residency, but then I went outpatient and was able to expand my knowledge base in a completely different route. And so then when I ended up actually going and finding my career job, I had expanded my knowledge base so that I was really able to go do anything. And then when we moved from East Tennessee back to Nashville, I was able to look at jobs kind of anywhere because I'd been exposed to so much. And so then I was able to really go back and kind of pick which one of those I really liked and enjoyed the best. And in my case, it was going back into the inpatient and hospital world, which is you know kind of where my foundation was. And so I just, I encourage you to, when you're in school, it's kind of like college. It's, you know, you don't always know what you want yet. And your fourth year, you're still kind of figuring out whichever rotation you have or whichever rotations you fall into. Those may not always be your favorites, but you're getting exposed to everything. So, you know, find out what your passion is. And that may not be that fourth year. You may not find it yet. But just continue, you know, looking and expanding your knowledge. Uh, well, that is very thorough. And I, I just want to echo everything that's been said. Um, the only thing I would add, which I think this segue is pretty good, um, is kind of determining your passion as well. I felt, you know, last year, fourth year, I was not confident in what I wanted to do, especially early on. Um, but I think trying new experiences, that's been said, gives you a good window into some things you may want to do or definitely don't want to do. I think once you kind of find something you're interested in, um, on the networking piece, I think more so than just taking advantage of the people you already know is trying to have that bravery to reach out to people in your community that are doing the things that you want to do, um, which I think is how I ended up from Belmont to Lipscomb. So I kind of took a leap of faith and reached out to some people from Lipscomb and had a great response and um, ultimately decided it was the best place for me. So on top of all the other things that have been said, um, that extra piece of once you figure out what you do enjoy and where you do want to have your career take you, you know, finding people in the community that can be good mentors for you and give you opportunities to practice where they practice and get really good advice, like, you know, face to face, uh, that's been huge for my learning and I think ultimately why I was able to get this residency. So, I'm coming. <laughs> 
so that gives you guys some ideas of like what all you can do to better prepare yourself when you get out there, which is approaching quickly. Okay, so Okay, so this is an interesting question that I felt was like, mm, I don't know if I'll put it in there, but it's kind of it hits at the point of like women pharmacists day, right? Um, so the question is, have you faced challenges that you feel were due to your gender or sex? If so, would you elaborate? And how did you, um, how did those challenges affect you? I'm going to start with Dr. Falcon with this one. I told you I'd mix it up. I'm <laughs> mixing it up. I think that for me, the biggest challenges that I think I've faced that maybe were due to gender or sex actually were at the, the patient interface. Um, there are just um, some differences, maybe cultural differences or, or regional differences where women and their education are not as well accepted or respected. and. I definitely have felt that on a number of occasions um, in retail pharmacy, sometimes in my current role now where I'm interfacing with physicians who um, are, I mean, they're all very intelligent. I, now I get to call on people that write the guidelines that I used to present in class, which is a really cool thing for me. I kind of nerd out a little bit, but it, it, it <laughs> I nerd out a lot, okay. Um, but, Sometimes, you know, when they see a woman walk up, they're just like, oh, I mean, you can just, you can see it in the face. So um, then it's just trying to find a connection and, and finding common ground that is gender neutral um, or, or demonstrating that I am knowledgeable in my field to gain that respect back and, um, and not make it reliant upon I'm a woman and, and you are not. You can go either direction. Who wants it? Jump ball. <laughs> um, I think a couple times in my recent past, um, being a pharmacy director, there were a couple times that um, I, had, I had to challenge the law or challenge a decision that we were making as a department. The nice thing about pharmacy is that the law is very black and white. And so long as, as long as you know the law, um, I think you can stand very behind it. And that, as long as I had those facts behind me, um, I was able to make my ground and stand very strong behind it. Um, but I think that's where, I think that's where you have to come and know your facts. And I was, you know, thinking about coming here today, and one thing that I've not, I've not very often felt like there was really a gender issue, and I, and a lot of people will argue that there is, but I think the one thing that I've always been very, um, I guess. I've tried to do is to just stand my ground and not waver, but I think you have to be prepared. And as long as you come prepared, you're fine. And um, I think that's one nice thing about the pharmacy law and pharmacist in general. We usually know what we're, you know, we have facts, we have drug facts, we have the FDA, you know, the DA behind us, and those things never falter. So as long as you have that behind you and you know the facts, you're fine, but you do have to come prepared. Um, so the only things that I would probably add, I mean, professionally, I don't necessarily know that I've had a lot of barriers due to my gender, but to kind of echo the idea when you're interacting with patients, uh, that might be maybe more where the barrier might stand. Uh, for example, as an intern and even now in my current residency, and some of y'all have been to Perkins, so you know, um, the patient population tends to be older and tends to be a little more like rural based, which is definitely my passion where I want to work. 
Um, but sometimes, you know, as she mentioned earlier, you can, you're walking up to a patient, you can kind of see their face fall. Or, you know, I still get calls asking for the male druggist, which is frustrating. And so I think, um, but to, to, to the point, you know, if you are a professional, if you are confident in what you know, and you treat patients with respect, you know, oftentimes they soften to you and they trust you. And then over time, you know, you build that rapport. You'll always have patients who are not comfortable speaking to a female. Um, I think you'll have patients that are not comfortable speaking to a male. So at that point, you do your best to make sure your patient is comfortable and you can get the best information to help them. But that tends to be my biggest barrier. And I have to remind myself, at least to cope with it, like, you know, if someone's not wanting to talk to me, odds are pretty good it has nothing to do with me. So that's been something that I've been learning, especially in my current practice site, is either take some time and break it down for them and they'll build their trust or they just won't talk to you and they'll talk to someone else so hopefully you can trust the people you're working with as well so. um, I'll just add that or echo the the building trust and um, knowing your stuff so that's definitely important um, because it certainly is. <laughs> um, so I guess uh, one other example that that actually happened to me this year um, was I was presenting with our CEO um, at a national pharmacy association uh, to their senior leaders. I won't say which one um, because there are so many, and so <laughs> won't say the name, but. Um, it, it definitely was a little bit of a good old boys group um, in that um, I was the only female at the table and uh, I'm on the leadership team at my organization and uh, do a lot of the external affairs with my CEO, report to the CEO. And uh, the, the senior leader for the pharmacy association um, would not look at me just really didn't uh, acknowledge that I was there at the meeting and so um, in those kind of situations you know you just have to um, not take it personally of course I was really mad afterwards and <laughs> talked talk to my CEO and he was like I can't believe that just happened um, but um, you know you, you just have to do all of the things so probably like the next time that I interfaced with that inter individual um, you know you can't let that build up like you just have to kind of let it go and um, just look for who who are the ones that are going to be champions and that, that don't still have that kind of mindset I don't know that's just how I interpreted that meeting uh, maybe there could have been something else going on, but um, there there is sometimes still a little bit of, of good old boys club um, that might be out there. We've broken a lot of glass ceilings. We've got chief pharmacy officers as women, directors of pharmacy, um, pharmacists that are um, uh, doing awesome work within pharmaceutical industry all over um, that are even presidents of, of pharmacy associations but that did happen and so just to you know that may happen to you but um, don't get mad about it and just kind of keep going because they're not gonna you know hold you up so Thank you. I didn't intend to do any speaking really, but I feel like I should like interject here because I know you were saying, you know, someone calls and asks for the male druggist 
And I've had a lot of situations where I've been working with a female pharmacist, especially like female PICs, right? And people, <coughs> patients will call and they'll be like, no, I wanna to talk to the guy. They won't listen to any words out of the PIC's mouth. They wanna hear it from the guy. But, and I think all of you mentioned, like it's about making the patient we're going to pause there and we'll pick back up with part two of this women in pharmacy panel discussion next week. But first, a recap of a few of the important pieces of advice. First, ask for what you want. Don't downplay your accomplishments. Make sure to show off your confidence. Negotiate. Always ask for uh promotions if you have earned it. Uh, that doesn't mean that when you're first out of school and you've been working for six to 12 months that you have earned your promotion. You need to pay your dues and uh, work hard and uh, don't expect that everything's going to be easy. But uh, once you've been able to prove yourself and know your value, then definitely um, be strong in that. Um, definitely look at um maybe not taking the very first offer that is um, given, uh, but, but more tips on that uh, from other resources uh, for sure. And uh, make sure to define your own success. So uh, what success looks like for uh, me may be very different than what success looks like for you. So uh, those are a few little tips. Uh, be sure to tune in next week for more of this panel discussion. And a special thanks to the APHA ASP students at Lipscomb for hosting us on this panel. It was very fun and uh, great to connect with some of the other women in the Nashville area. And if you're a student who is interested in the residency process, we have a resource for you. Be sure to check out my online boot camp before mid-year, which is available at residencybootcamp.teachable.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to check out the show notes at www.pharmacyadvisory.com and check out our newest podcast, The Natural Products Resource Center. So available on Apple, iTunes, and all other platforms. You're going to learn about natural products, including cannabis, CBD, and all of the other natural supplements. Thanks for listening to this episode of Talk to Your Pharmacist, produced by the Pharmacy Advisory Group. If you liked this episode, let us know by subscribing to the podcast, rating, and reviewing it share it with friends. And if you want to be a guest or know a pharmacist leader who has a great story to tell, connect with me, Hillary Blackburn, on LinkedIn and check out our Facebook page, Pharmacy Advisory Group, for updates on new podcasts. Thanks for listening.